Hi, my name's Austin Parenti. And my name is Aramie Hiz. And I'm starting off this episode because that's our tradition, dare I say. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Academy Podcast. We got a new song, new philosopher, and a new book for us to cover. A brand yeah. new series. Yes, very exciting that we we got out of the cave, so to speak, in, yes. uh, in Plato's Republic. Well, and not to say that this thinker is necessarily the truth, but no, yeah, of course, yeah, of yeah. course. But it is an That's interesting step forward because we are able to now go forward in history to one of the next um, um, uh, standout moments, you know, one of the oh, next yeah. milestones. Um, and so we have a philosopher here who's building on the classics, certainly. Um, well, he is part of it. He's part of the classics. Well, for rather, sure. rather, yeah. I mean, classical Greece, you know, like taking yeah. Plato and Aristotle and now taking a nice big leap uh, in a new direction, which sure. is very yeah. exciting. And, and uh, you know what's funny is that, um, you know, because there's no rhyme or reason to necessarily what we pick. We're not going in any sort of historical order here. But I just found it funny that we did Plato, and I let you pick the next one, and you picked Epictetus. And, and Epictetus is, like, directly influenced by Plato. The Stoics are, you know, it's, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. they're influenced primarily by Plato and the Cynics. Mm-hmm. And it's like we didn't go too far because <laughs> no, honestly, honestly, we could have gotten to something you know entirely modern. It had been you know. It's true. It's true. But I don't know I, because for me, when I first read the Stoics, I felt like they were the most immediately rewarding. Their little catchphrases and terms and ideas are the ones that stick in my head most of any of the philosophers we read. Um, and and so I think if you look at the the core word of philosophy, right, the love and pursuit of wisdom, I feel like in some ways the Stoics um, capitalize on that more than some other groups that that again claim the term philosophy, but looking at that root again, love of wisdom, sometimes it seems far from that. Can I talk a little bit about that? Yes, just yeah, really totally. quick. I you know it's funny is that you bring that up, and that's actually going to be a main point because Stoicism is very much about practical wisdom. It's very much about how do you actually practice this day in and day out. It's very grounded. A lot of philosophy, we feel as if it's it's very... Because even Plato, it was kind of getting away from us a little bit. Yes. Where it was like, you know, oh my gosh, he's talking about veridical versus you know, uh, versus, uh, you know, um, existential, and we're talking about forms, and, and it's heady. And where stoicism is going to be a lot of, it's going to be a lot of moral maxims. It's going to be about do that, do literally this, do that. Right. It's all about ethics and behavior. Um, and so that's why honestly, two things about stoicism is that one is that it's rising in popularity in our modern day. I think a lot of people are starting to see stoicism and, and really embracing it for what it is now. And I think it has a lot of appeal, especially to men. I think it has a lot of appeal um, and you, it, a lot of journals and articles and things like that are coming out of, of like embracing stoicism and refounding stoic ideals. Hmm. Um, but that's kind of it's also a double edged sword because now you have all these like, unfortunately, a lot of who I think are probably the worst people in existence, which are <laughs> motivational speakers. Um, hacks like Tony Robbins and the like who I think are are worse than politicians they 
and and really what they did and what they do today is that they read people like Epictetus or Marcus Aurelius. They read probably half the book, think it's great, and then they make uh, some sort of TEDx talk or mm-hmm. motivational tour, and then they literally just sell you hundreds of dollars in tickets, you know, for you for them to just tell you what the Stoics have already said thousands of years ago. Right, what you could have gotten for if you actually read the book, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> Go down here to the we public are. Library. We are now the new motivational speakers. <laughs> Um, yeah. Now, so so in 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 the past, we've done this. I think I recall with Plato's Republic, um, I spoke a, a bit of the the kind of general layman's understanding of the work, um, and and then you. Can, I don't know. You're pretty. You're well. I I certainly because of my love for the Stokes. I know. I feel like I'm a little more versed than probably the more well read than I am. You should lead this up. But, but no, no, no. <laughs> um, but but I, I still remember what my perspective was going into my first class on Stoicism, and here's what I said: the professor asked, um, "What is a Stoic?" And I said, um, "When I think of a Stoic, I think of someone who's uh, emotionless." That was the first word that came to mind. Yeah, it's a common conception, right? Mm-hmm. And and so maybe you could speak to that. Um, and then also my second corresponding thought was they're like the Jedi Knights. The Jedi Knights. Also a common conception. <laughs> right. They 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 don't marry. They have their laws and they try to stay calm. And I think of Qui-Gon Jinn in episode one who shows no range of personality. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Even though you have one of the best actors of our time. You, you know, uh, so so that's how I viewed Stoicism going into the class. Now, my, my guess is that there will be some people listening to our podcast who also have related those thoughts. So can you first start by... Um, answering those thoughts um, and those conceptions. Okay, so, all right, so before we actually, like, get into Epictetus and his biography and things like that, we'll just, we'll clear up some, those misconceptions yeah. about Stoicism. Okay. Okay, so um, I'm going to try to avoid getting into the philosophy and being like, well, you know, well, it actually says here that, you know, but right. so, <laughs> um, so to address the idea of the emotionless, I think that's the big hurdle. Um, I think a lot of people think that, Stoicism is all about uh, like uh, getting rid of emotions, and I think that there are some. And so, so to take a step back, we have to remember that there are different kinds of Stoics, sure, right? So, course. and I mean, they they definitely have you know a lot of relation with each other, and it's pretty cohesive. However, if you're reading somebody like Seneca or Cicero, they are, and even Cicero is not really a Stoic. He's kind of a weird amalgamation of things, but. That's besides the point. The thing is, is that when you get later on into the Roman history, the history of the Roman Empire, and and looking at the later Stoics, they're a bit different than the earlier Stoics. Mm -hmm. And so you'll have people like Seneca who say that anger is kind of a useless emotion, kind of cut it out. Um, But really, in reality, Stoicism is all about discipline and emotional control, not necessarily ridding yourself of emotions. So um, and again, we'll get into Stoic philosophy, but just to clear up the con- misconception is that Stoics, Stoics are not going to say that you don't experience emotions. And they're not going to say that that initial reaction that you have is something that is completely unavoidable. If, if, you, if you are the, – the example that I read online was that it, let us say you are standing at a train station and you have a briefcase full of papers and the briefcase flies open and the, the, you know, the papers gush out. You know, a Stoic is not going to say – you know, oh, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel like flabbergasted or, or, (laughs) you know, or upset at that. Initially you are going to, that is, they would admit that that is an unavoidable thing. However, it's more of, 
you have free will fundamentally and you have the ability to reason. And so when you look at that emotion, you have to evaluate it and see if it is, and you have to, you have to contrast that with your character. Is this emotion healthy and good for my character? What kind of, is this good for virtuous living? And then if it is not, then yes, they would say, cut it out, stop it. You are in control of yourself. Right. And that is an empowering thing, right? Because we think that it's like, well, I feel this way. I'm, and we live in a very emotionally distraught time. And I think that's why that's the appeal of stoicism. And so they mm -hmm. say you need to just very meticulously evaluate your emotions, not not experience them. Okay. However, they would there are stoics out there that would say, well, some emotions are hardly ever good. So <laughs> therefore, get rid of them. And mm -hmm. it's and then that could be a criticism that you can level against them. And, you know, that remains to be seen in okay. this work. But to get to your other one about being like monks or you right. know, Jedi Knights or, or however you wanted to describe it, that they don't marry, they don't have kids. And I mean, for Epictetus, that may be true because he didn't marry and he didn't have kids. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that Stoics, uh, yeah, typically they, uh, they avoid, you know, the sensual pleasures because you have to remember also at the same time you had the Epicureans that were going around and you mm -hmm. had the hedonists that were going around in the Hellenistic period that were advocating for sensual pleasure. Stoicism is in against that. They, they, they are definitely dualists when it comes to theories of the soul where you're, it, I mean, Epictetus literally says that you are a soul embodying a corpse. Like he, and he calls, he calls his, his body a donkey brother ass, you know, he's, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, d stubborn, useless thing. And so they definitely have a negative view of that, certainly. But, you know, you also have people, again, like Seneca, who say, you know, sometimes you need to throw back some wine, man. You need to get drunk and kind of act insane a little bit and have a good time, you know? Right. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's it's hard to pin it down, but it, it, there are those misconceptions because the, the it's it's understanding things in gradation, right? It's not mm -hmm. so – it's not like 100% we are monks, you know, do not feel anything, yeah. you know? They're definitely they're definitely different than we are and how we kind of conceive of emotions and mm -hmm. emotional values and things like that. But they um, they're not uh, they're not not people. <laughs> right. Right. So um, as we as we were r researching Epictetus because we knew he wanted to be our next guy, we referred to the Enchiridion at first, which right. is his short um, handbook, literally the handbook. Right. And and we learned that 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 was actually just um, what's the term for it like a uh, an abridgment in a, a, an anthology of his greater work discourses. Yeah. So I think I think. Um, so let me find the quote really quick. Here it is. All right. So let me. So this quote is the shorter Enchiridion, um, titled in English either manual or handbook, as we said, is a brief abridgment of the discourses, which is the book that we will actually be covering, apparently including the four or more additional volumes of discourses that circulated in antiquity. So a lot of what we have from back then is in fragments. It's not complete. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, this is also the case. Um, as such, it offers a much atten attenuated account, which is of little independent value for the understanding of Epictetus's thought, and, and which at some points gives a misleading impression of his philosophical innovations. So the Enchiridion is kind of like a bunch of fortune cookies, and it, it can be misleading because they're so fragmented. Yeah. But to truly understand him, we need to go to discourses. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Awesome. But little side note and now we're getting into the episode at that point but he actually didn't write the discourses so 
Okay. So, (laughs) which is funny enough because when we did Plato, I mean, God, there's so many like one-to-one comparisons that you can bring between Epictetus and Socrates, right? Hmm. Didn't marry, didn't have kids, and he never wrote his own stuff. Ah, okay. So, but he was. It is believed he was a historical character. Somebody is writing his. Oh no, Epictetus. We know more. There's no debate about like like. I don't know if anybody debates the existence of Socrates because we know he lived, uh-huh. but he's Epictetus is definitely less mysterious than Socrates. Okay. It's not like our fir- if we go all the way back to the very first episode, it's like it's like we knew that he was ugly, <laughs> yes. and he yeah. and he and he killed himself with poison, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? There's there's a little bit more to Epictetus than that, but uh, again, a lot is not really known about his life. It is true, but we do know that he was a slave at one point. He was uh, born a slave. Yeah. He was born a slave, a cripple as well. Yeah, so there's the, that. There's a funny story behind that too. So uh, I'll I'll start. And so it essentially, you know, the biography is pretty quick. Um, and you can ask. We can go back and forth about the Roman history part of it. And maybe you'd be interested. Maybe you won't. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Up to you. Sure. <laughs> um, so he was actually born in um uh, Heropolis. So which is like a which is a city Greece. in in. Uh, actually Asia Minor, so modern Turkey. Oh, okay. um, but but the Greeks during the Hellenistic period had basically colonized, you know, Anatolia, that coastline there. And so it, there was a lot of intermingling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was born to, he was born as a slave. So his mother was a slave and he was born to Epaphroditus, who actually was also a slave at one point. So Epaphroditus was a slave, became a freedman, and then purchased slaves. Hmm. And then, so Epictetus was born to him. So Roman slavery in the Roman world is very different than what uh, the average American would conceive of slavery as, because it, in actuality, so and we'll see this with Epictetus, slaves could be educated, um, they could earn money, uh, work in really fulfilling careers, and then purchase their freedom. And then they would actually go, and then that would actually allow in Roman society to establish connections. Hmm. So what would happen is is that you'll have a master who has these slaves. The slaves purchase their freedom or are granted freedom. And then the slaves would actually take the name of their former master, and then they would go and then have careers, and then and then they would be connected to their master. And so the master would end up, you know, kind of advising them and helping them as they, you know, establish wow. themselves. And then it it's would like go a franchise, up. kind of, kind of. And but then slavery also was dynamically different depending on what time in Roman history that you're talking about. Because as Rome was expanding, there was more slaves, and so therefore there was less of a control on it. But when we start getting into the time where Epictetus is starting to write and teach Stoicism. It, there's a lot more control because Rome was actually hitting the extent of its power. Okay. And we're at the height of the Pax Romana. So there's a lot more control put on slavery. But um, essentially, Epaphroditus was actually, he worked as an administrator. Um, we don't really know his role, but he worked in the court of Emperor Nero. Okay. So, wow. <laughs> right. And so, um, and so Epictetus worked alongside Epaphroditus. He was allowed to be educated. And actually, he was educated by a Roman senator. Uh, and his name is Musonius, Musoni, M- Musonius Rufus. And so, and he actually has some fragmented works that still survive to today. And he was a very ardent Stoic who gave a lot of practical wisdom. And so there's a lot of his influence that shines through Epictetus's work. Okay. Um, so he's educated and then he probably comes free um, right around the time that Nero dies. So Nero actually committed suicide um, because... I heard he wasn't the best guy. <laughs> Am I right about that? Yeah, he was a little he was a little out there. Um, and the thing, the reason why Nero committed suicide was because there was actually a plot that was discovered to restore the Roman Republic, which failed. Um, but then what ended up happening was that after that plot, there was um, 
um, there was this basically this movement for um, like a rebellion that was going to occur and where somebody was going to try to depose of Nero. Mm -hmm. And then there was and then the Praetorian Guard betrayed him. And so he ended up he ended up committing suicide um, when he found out about it. And so funny enough is that Epaphroditus was the one who helped Nero commit suicide. Really? Okay, right. wow. So then and then Epaphroditus is then end up he ends up being murdered by um I think it's shoot. Sorry. Every time we talk about Roman history, it just I feel like I'm stepping into Star Wars and I hate Star Wars now, but you know how it's just so grand and epic and operatic. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like... So he's actually and then he's actually executed by Emperor Domitian. Yeah, Emperor Domitian, mm-hmm. and because he says that he should have saved Nero instead of helping him commit suicide. And so Epaphroditus actually plays, and then so, and then Epaphroditus, but then funny enough is that Domitian is killed because Epaphroditus, um, because after he killed Epaphroditus, the the chambermaid or the guy the the guy who basically worked in his chamber, who's like his assistant, loved Epaphroditus. Not romantically, <laughs> but like he like yeah. had a, you know he was affectionate towards him, and so he ends up working with like the man who's trying to depose of. And this is where you get into the year of the four emperors. But then he ends up stabbing, <laughs> he ends up stabbing stabbing Domitian in the oh in the goodness. groin multiple times. What the heck? Because he killed Epaphroditus. <laughs> That's that's amazingly epic. Okay, so so then Epictetus, what happens to him after Aphrodite's is, um, is killed? So well, Epictetus ends up he ends up being freed, but then he starts teaching in Rome, mm-hmm. and then so then Domitian actually banished like philosophers from Rome in eighty nine A.D. So he like, like smart. That's that's a good move. <laughs> <laughs> so then he ends up being he ends up being expelled. Um, you know, around 89. And then, so then he goes to Nicopolis, which is a town on the Western coast of Greece. And he establishes his own school there. And then there he adopts like a young boy, like who was formerly a slave. And then he frees him. And then he, um, and then he ends up just teaching there until he dies. Um, and a lot of, and it becomes a very famous and, and pretty much renowned school in the Mediterranean basin, mm-hmm. um, from there on out. So kind of, you know, there's a lot of political intrigue at the time that he was living with, you know, so after Nero dies, you have the time of the four emperors and, and, you know, that one year, everybody's just like killing each other. And then you have the rise of Domitian and, and then, you know, he falls off and, and it's a lot of back and forth. We could go over that. But the thing is, is that um, the main thing is that he ends up, he just, he kind of just teaches in Rome. Right. We know he teaches in Rome. He ends up leaving, goes to Greece establishes a very successful school and then that's it and he has his now how did he become uh, crippled so two stories one is the idea that he had uh a uh not a defect but he had some sort of disease that just made him crippled i forget what it was exactly mm-hmm. but he it, it that that's the most likely scenario mm-hmm. is is that he just had some sort of illness that ended up you know, making that leg limb or lame um but uh, uh, the folk story, which is what everybody wants to hear, is <laughs> yeah, that uh, one he was that the idea was that one day he was being he was being punished by his master, and and of course this this story is supposed to demonstrate the the stoic nature of Epictetus, right. and so he, and then so then and so he's like twisting his leg brutally, and then Epictetus is not showing any like any sort of rem- like remorse or any sort of pain. He goes. He goes, you are going to break my leg if you keep twisting it. 
and then to which then his master continues to twist the leg and then he breaks his leg. And then so the leg never healed properly and then to which Epictetus said after he breaks his leg, he says, see, I told you you would break my leg if you kept twisting it. <laughs> that is a pretty relaxed answer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the story. <laughs> and so, wow. So, but the most likely scenario is that, you know, Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, I don't, I don't imagine his master just sitting there, just going ha, and then breaking right. his leg. So, and him somehow keeping it all together. Um, so, so here's another thought that uh, that that I've we've talked about in the past about what makes uh, him and the Stoics so so incredible. Now, bearing in mind that slavery at the time was not as uh, can we say it's it wasn't as brutal as um, like American slavery. Or does it really depend on? Uh, I would, yeah, I would be careful. Okay, so, so, so then maybe this is fair to look at it, this guy, and so much of what he said, at least in in the Enchiridion, is about maintaining your your disposition and your self control in the midst of heavy trial. This is not some emperor, you know, living in his luxurious palace, telling you that. This is a man who. Is suffering. It has suffered throughout his life. Yeah, he lived in slavery. Yeah, right. absolutely. So we've we've heard that, and then the remarkable thing to pair that with also that you know I've heard is to run that up against Marcus Aurelius, who also I'm sure was a different form of Stoicism a little bit, but he was emperor of the known world and he preached the same message. Yeah, and that's what I've heard makes Stoicism so unique is that from the bottom of the barrel, like Epictetus. To Marcus Aurelius, you have this similar worldview where both men seem to find some sort of um, peace in it and and understanding. Um, it, are those fair things to to consider? It is a remarkable thing to point out that you know. So Epictetus dies around 135 A.D. Um, and then, so then there are a number of emperors that that that. So he kind of dies around the time of Hadrian, mm-hmm. who who was emperor, uh, and then and then you have Hadrian. Antonius Pius, um, and then you have Marcus Aurelius. Let me, yeah, I'm right. Cool. <laughs> so then, um, so then, and so therefore, Marcus Aurelius is actually reigning a little bit after Epictetus, mm-hmm. um, and not at the same time. But there is a lot of overlap, and it's kind of impressive to see, you know, Marcus Aurelius write his meditations, and it's like, wow, there's a lot of. Like he really embodied stoicism, and it's kind of incredible that this is something that it, it it can be applied to both the haves and the have-nots because it is a it is a philosophy that is deeply, deeply, deeply uh, um, uncaring towards <laughs> like whatever your lot in right. life would be. It it it, ha- it has no concern for yeah. whatever those those differences may be. Um, but you know, and then but one of the things that people also point out in that same vein of thought is that Marcus Aurelius. There's been a lot of debate amongst historians about how successful he was as an emperor. He is known as one of the five good emperors. I mean, he's not as good as my boy Nerva. (laughs) Nerva Nerva. Nerva is my favorite Roman emperor. So if you're a listener out there and you're kind of interested in finding out a little bit more about Emperor Nerva, give him a look. He is incredible. Interesting. Okay. Um, And so so Marcus Aurelius is known as one of the five good emperors and the last one. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of some controversy there, you know, you know, 
a disease breaking out perhaps and killing five million people and and oh. you know increased wars and all that kind of stuff so he wasn't able to really relax in the way that he wanted to unfortunately but interesting okay so there's some discrepancy it, that'll keep us on our toes <laughs> now um what what is the what is next that we should discuss um in this episode before we we move into actual content episodes where we dissect the the work yeah i think we should i think we can introduce a little bit about what stoicism is perhaps um i mean yes we've spoken of it as if everyone listening kind of knows so so yeah maybe can you give us some central tenets uh and again you mentioned that they're you know it it evolved over time and space um but generally what what are the staple principles right so some historical context there as well stoicism is actually gets started um during the hellenistic period so the Hellenistic period is known as, like, generally speaking, the death of Alexander the Great, mm-hmm. um, which and the reason why that is is because Alexander the Great conquered much of the known world. And and uh, what ended up happening is that when he died, I believe at the age of 32. Didn't he from die malaria. of, like, a cold? Oh, no, malaria. malaria. Okay. He caught, I think he caught it in India. So, yeah, he went all the way to India, fought, <laughs> like, fought <laughs> elephants and won. This guy's insane. So, um, I mean, listen, if you could if you could wear the head of a lion, like, on your head and get away with it. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, try that so, today. Oh so, then, um, his, uh, <laughs> Cecil. Uh, so, then, um. So on his death, his generals ended up splitting his empire. So then, and then, so they all kind of had their own little ruling going on in their own dynasties or whatever. And so the, and so that's, and then from that point all the way to basically the start of the Roman empire, which is, I guess you could say 32 BC. Um, And so that is, uh, that's kind of, that's the marker, right? And so it's a time of. Of, a, of basically the height of Greek culture. It's an upwelling in, in literature and philosophy. A lot of new schools of thought are coming out, and there's a lot of change going on. There's a lot of questioning because basically the status quo has been upended, and you have all these new powers jockeying for positions. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of those is Stoicism. And so one of them, and so the guy who starts it, his name is, uh, is uh, Zeno of uh, Citium. And Zeno of Citium um, come, shows up in Greece and Athens. Um, starts to learn under the cynics and then he creates his own school and the reason why stoicism gets its name is because he taught under a stoa which is like a, a portico balcony oh. known as a stoa so stoa stoicism so stoic, cool. stoicism <laughs> comes from the stoa um and so primarily you know not a lot of his work survives very fragmented stuff but he once again it was always and it was always a ethical philosophy one based on logic physics ethics very grounded kind of stuff um, and then, of course, you have, and then following that, you have other people, Cleanthes, Chrysippus. Um, they kind of, they kind of come around and start to develop the doctrine a lot more. Chrysippus more than anybody else. He's known as the second founder of Stoicism, but they're the three heads. Um, and then Epictetus comes around after that, and Epictetus is actually so important that he's he's regarded as one of you know like cool one of 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 those three. You know, mm-hmm. he's uh, stated among them. Um, so I mean. What is it? I, I guess in my notes, I kind of wrote that it, it is first that we should understand it and present it and present it and approach it as as first and foremost a a philosophy of ethics, like mm-hmm. that it is it is a philosophy of ethics that seeks to treat suffering and woes. 
everybody everybody's going through stuff everybody suffers everybody has woes that they have to deal with this is a philosophy geared towards that specifically how to live life well and so i'm going to throw words that you should be be familiar with but it is about the achievement of eudaimonia not thumos no, not thumos. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. eudaimonia which is happiness just a just a, a general being of happiness um and so that's that's the goal and what Epictetus is going to argue is that there's going to be a word that I'm going to keep bringing up as well. So um, uh, the word that he uses is proheresis. Proheresis. So proheresis is, is, is about um, how, to, how to say. So he says that it's not. So we use the word origi- originally as arete, remember, about excellence, like virtuous yeah. excellence. And that's how you achieve eudaimonia. That's how typically it was. Epictetus kind of changes the game. Where he uses proheresis, and proheresis is more about the uh, is about a stable being, stable stable character, hmm. like being able to find yourself in a position in a place, and then having stability in that, um, and and maintaining and maintaining that in your character, proheresis. Um, and so, those are basically the two main things about stoicism, and the third thing that I would say specifically, and I think you're very well aware of this is that there are things that are how to put it um really the only way to achieve eudaimonia is through virtuous character is to embody and live out virtue and the way you do that is that you find that there are things that are preferred and there are things that are unpreferred okay so what do i mean by that preferred is like um just things that you like to have happen to you, right? So you like to eat a good meal. You like to be warm. You like you like to be married. You like to you know have financial stability. Right. Those are preferred things. Unpreferred things are obviously the opposite of those things. And so unpreferred is like a divorce or or going hungry or being cold. You know, those are mm-hmm. unpreferred things, the opposites. And so what stoicism is going to advocate for is that is that both of those things, preferred and unpreferred, are things that exist out of what is good, which means virtue. So virtue is what is good. Right. Okay. And it also they also exist out of they exist outside of vice and acting in a vice nature, which is known as evil to the Stoic. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if both of those so those things have value in in the sense that they are what they are. It's not they're not the cynics where they say those things don't possess any value whatsoever because the Stoics would say, well, achieving those things is you're obviously your will is being assented towards them. You are desiring those things. Right. However, you know, and so therefore they may have a value. However, their value is outside of outside of virtue and it's outside of vice. They just are things that you pursue. It's like two different currencies. Yeah. They're valued in their respective Correct. realm. So okay. then, so when what Epictetus is going to say is that those two things, whether they're preferred or unpreferred, is going to be indifferent. And so he says, so the main thing is understanding that those things are indifferent to us. And because they're indifferent, they shouldn't really be of the utmost concern to us. <laughs> and so and so therefore he's he's restructuring our orientation of of how we live, right? So he's saying all these things that you may be pursuing and that you're trying to avoid, those things are actually indifferent to how you act. Yeah. And so you living virtuously is independent of the preferred and the unpreferred. They are now indifferent. And so really the question is more of a matter of are you acting virtuously 
regardless of the circumstance. So even though you may be pursuing romance or warmth or a full belly, are you pursuing those things virtuously? And let us say you are hungry, cold, and unloved. Are you living virtuously? Because guess what? Virtue is indifferent. It is, it is, it is outside yes. of the indifference. Yes. That is, and that is really, and then so, and of course there are other things that go into that. So then you have to get into epistemology, the idea of impressions, the idea of a discipline and the ascent. There's a lot of other concepts that come out of that specifically the idea of volition and how fundamentally we are free people with, um, um, with the ability to reason, um, and, and the ability to make choices. And so he, and so he would say that, uh, um, as a quote, the very notion of a capacity to make one's own decisions implies as a matter of logical necessity that those decisions are free of external compulsion. Otherwise they would not be decisions. Right. Then it's coercion. Right. And so he would say, since, and since that, since the decisions are truly ours, our volition, that means that who you are are really is really your actions. I need to write this down. Okay, keep going because <laughs> so I'm going to keep going. Go so, on, go. so let's and so let's marry the two ideas. So, if who you are is really your character, your actions, your your attitude, your aspirations, your desires, then therefore those are the things. And so that's why volition is important because that means those things are uniquely yours. They are in your control. Whereas the things that are indifferent to you, the things that you are pursuing or you're desiring, or the things that that maybe other people are doing and, and how they're acting, those are all outside of your control. And so fundamentally, Epictetus is saying, find out, put things in their right order, find, say those things are indifferent. I have free will. I have freedom of choice, uh, fundamentally, that I have, I have the ability to reason and find out what is good for me and what is bad for me, how to act in right character, right, by evaluating things as they're impressed upon my soul. And then we'll talk about that epistemology and stoicism. So I'm just going to glance that now sure. um, and say, and say, guess what? I'm in control of who, of how I act, my character, how I approach these things. And that is what matters. That is what matters most because my desire is to achieve eudaimonia and eudaimonia can only be achieved through the practice of virtue and the avoiding of vice. And so it's, and so he says, control you, control your character and, and live well in spite of whatever may be going on, whatever the circumstances are. That is at the very core of it, the very core of stoicism, if, if I'm making sense. Like, I hope that, yeah, I hope I'm, yeah. I hope I'm. Can I, can I regurgitate a little bit and then you can. Sure. Um, sh so and I'm, I didn't even bring up the concept of God and living in accordance yes, with nature. Yes, I, right? I was about to say, so the other sure. thing we need to talk about is their idea of providence, right? I, yeah, I remember so that fate, being there's fate and God in it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that was the first time I realized, I recognized that idea coming up was in the stoics, but. Okay, so let me let me vomit and up my little my little puke, and then you can you know chop it up and shape it into something beautiful. Sure. Um, Plato was about uh, uh, virtue excellence, yes, um, and and arete, right, moving, uh, you know, ordering your soul your soul in in. We talked about all that, you know. Yeah, go back I'm, and I'm listen. Done. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm exhausted just thinking about it. Um, whereas Epictetus is going to. Um, take aim a little more towards stability of uh behavior yes um because Dis let's say let's say discipline the word we should Disci use that's is the discipline. word yes, hold on let me let me write that down <laughs> discipline um because have you guys realized that austin likes stoicism <laughs> i don't know if you noticed it's, yet it's just it's good it's good stuff and and so he would say that um who someone is um 
and their actions are one and the same. Actions represent your will, your desires, and your character. Um, and so those if, are all part of your volition, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Because and and that's the big word. If um, and so we should spend less time worrying about what is out of our control and realize what is in control exclusively is our actions. Yes. And so it's very focused on that behavioral action volition. Right. Regardless of okay. whatever is indifferent to us. Right. Like, don't worry about don't worry about the guy who cut you off in traffic. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't control that. Don't worry about the wind blowing your papers away. And honestly, he would even say, you know. Don't worry about the death that has occurred in your family. These things, all these things are outside of your control. Control you. Worry about you. Yes. Now, okay, so, so to move into Providence, there's one quote that I remember from the Enchiridion that uh, might bridge us into that part of the conversation well. Um, well, I want to I wanna leave... I want to leave something for yes. the future. Yeah, so, so, so maybe we could talk about fate really quick um, and, and, then, and then, you know, pretty much be done from there. Um, but what I remember is, um, is this. He said, you are like an actor in a play. Um, you did not pick your role. That was the director. <laughs> um, and so your job is to play your particular role well, not to... Um, question or search for a different role but to trust that the director knew what he was doing so that's got a little bit of that personal action choice in there but but there's a there's a heavy weight that i i sense in that quote on providence so can you speak to that a little bit yeah the only thing i'll say without without giving away too much is that the conception of god in in epictetus's framework is a bit different than what we would we would kind of reference to as as in a judeo-christian understanding of like sure. an active agent so i would just say that let's let's instead flip the flip the the word that we're using from god to natural order okay. and so for for epictetus he says that there obviously there's is reason uh that is underpinning the cosmology of the world that there is an order to things mm -hmm. that nature has has a direction has purpose uh, has has um uh, an epistemic and 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 a teleological purpose to it. So it's more like the force than y yeah. Right. Okay. So then, um, um, except I hate Star Wars. Right. So, me too. Um, I, I hate Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, the so the thing is, uh, I hope none of our listeners are like deeply offended by the fact that I, I don't really care much for Star Wars. They could stop uh, listening. Uh, oh, stop. <laughs> um, That's an option. So then, uh, wow. Um, <laughs> Don't stop listening. Or they could get good opinions. Okay. I will definitely cut this out. <laughs> so sorry. So so there's an unconscious force of reason and and uh um order. Yeah, I'm not gonna like I'm trying to so I'm trying to keep it, uh, you know, light. But th the idea is that there's a there's a natural order to things that nature nature has its end has an epistemic and teleological purpose to it. That there's a rational order to things, and that that thing may be called God or Zeus or whatever. Sure. And so and so that rational order to nature is is benevolent, is good, and it seeks in it what it seeks is that you would be a part of it. Mm -hmm. That is because, like you, fundamentally is in your nature is a part of it. So, it in a way, it's kind of there's a lot of similarities to Buddhism actually in a weird way. But the the main thing is is that that uh, in the same way that you don't choose the role, it, that is all correct. And 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 so you have to 
you have to play well. Like you, you, ha- you can either, I mean, you can kind of fight against nature or you can be with nature. I mean, at the end of the day, the grave takes us all. And so, but how do you, how do you want to live, you know? And, and so in living in accordance with the natural order to things and living in accordance to, to the, to the rational order of nature, um, is, is, uh, that's kind of the, the big metaphysical curtain, um, uh, around stoicism it's the it's the mystical side of it in right. which it's like at the end of the day eudaimonia is is really can be understood as as being one and with the natural order accepting fate accepting the fact that we are we are uh, passengers on a river flowing down flowing down the bend and that uh, we didn't choose this but we are in control of our actions and so we should just live well with what we have um and there's yeah, and obviously again, there's a lot of attraction to that. There's a lot of beauty to that. You can see a lot of again, a lot of nods to to uh, to Buddhism, um, and um, and uh, and basically, it has a kind of a mystical quality to it. Almost, um, I wouldn't go so far as to say it is mystical, but you know <laughs> that they say it, it is the universe is deeply rational, and right. so you, maybe you don't understand it, but you know you play your part, okay. and all things ebb and flow and come in and come out of existence. It never it never belonged to you. Mm-hmm. They would say something along the lines that, like, if, if you know, let's say, you know, tragically, if I died tomorrow. Um, and then so a stoic would look at you and say, Austin, he, he, you know, he was here temporarily anyway. And, you know, you enjoyed his existence when he was here. And he now goes back. He goes back to the world. Hmm. He never belonged to you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm still seeing some similarity with the Jedi, <laughs> but sure, this is this is really this is really helpful stuff. So I'm seeing keywords being like, like we said, discipline, fate, even that trust in fate. Maybe those two go together. It's yeah. not just that there is a fate, but trust it. Rational and, reason. I mean, mm-hmm. that's still obviously you see a lot of influences right. from Plato. There's you know, wonderful, well ordered soul. Ah, kind of yes, stuff coming yeah. in. So I'm going to actually read some quotes from Epictetus to kind of round it out. Okay. I think it would be kind of fun. Um, <laughs> so they, um, so I'll just go down the list. I wrote, I think five quotes. So one, <laughs> um, man is not worried by real problems so much as by his imagined anxieties about real problems. <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot of comedy in with the Stoics, right? A lot of quips. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, two, <laughs> um, he says, I have to die. If it is now, well, then I die now. If later, then now I will take my lunch <laughs> since the hour for lunch has arrived In dying. I will tend to later. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that sounds like the sort of thing you'd have like, uh, like some, some martial arts sensei would tell you. Yeah. You know? In a way, but you know, again, it's, I'm in control of what I'm in control and I, I worried about the present, how I'm yeah. acting right now. Um, happiness and freedom begin with a clear understanding of one principle. So this is, this is actually a really good quote. Um, wait, this is three, right? This is the third three. (laughs) Dang it. Um, happiness and freedom begin with a clear understanding of one principle. Some things are within our control and some things are not. It is only after you have faced up to this fundamental rule and learned to distinguish between what you can and can't control that inner tranquility and outer effectiveness become possible. Right. I just this morning I was, I told Sarah or yesterday, um, I told Sarah, I was like, Hey, something, Sarah's my wife, by the way, if I haven't talked about her enough on the show, uh, I said something I've realized that I need to work on. 
um, is, is that I'm a very impatient person and I'm very critical of things that are done wrong around me. And I, and they are things that I have no control over and it still makes me upset. This sounds like the perfect antidote to that sort of thing Yeah, where we get so worked up over this crap, but this worldview of just identifying what's in your control and what's not just starting there. That's, that's just really practical. I love it. And the last one, five. Five. I said five. Wait, I didn't say four. When did four happen? When something happens, the only thing in your power is your attitude toward it. It is not the things that disturb us, but our interpretation of their significance. (laughs) Things and people are not what we wish them to be, nor are they what they seem to be. They are what they are. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. I think we're going to have fun with this one. I think, Not that we didn't have fun with Plato. I'm going to miss Plato. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got to move on because he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, this is, this was a very fun introduction, um, and I think this will set the expectation right as we move into this work that people who maybe didn't fully understand Stoicism uh, or, or have a survey understanding going in now, we can kind of embark on this quest. Absolutely. Knowing what to expect. Um, and so we will begin. Will, will we start with the book's introduction or will we go right into his writing um, specifically? That remains to be seen. Ah, so a surprise for the listener to, <laughs> to await on. So thank you for joining us. This has been uh, fun. We're very excited to get into this work. Um, and, uh, I don't remember anything else I'm supposed to say at this point. So Aaron, what, are, what are the social media things? Okay. So <laughs> a few, th- a few changes is, um, so new graphics are, uh, are, are there. So just get used to that. So if you're, if you're, you know, found this episode and you got people that you're encouraging people to listen to it, just, you know, just be mindful of the fact that new graphics are going to come out for every single series that we do just to pay homage to the thinker that we're currently covering. Mm-hmm. Um, we found that that was important to us. Um, we didn't want to leave it just the one consistent one. Um, additionally, um, be sure to follow us on Instagram and uh, Twitter. Um, so at Academy underscore podcast, you will find us on both of those sites, just cute little behind the scenes stuff that we put out. Um, and also the big thing that's coming out very, very soon is a Facebook group um, for ah. <laughs> for the podcast. Ah. And then so there we will be posting all the all the uh, additional content as well as having discussion boards for you guys. To, and, and you'll be able cool. to engage. Yeah, they'll you, you'll actually be able to message me and engage me and whenever I'm on there and then hopefully I can answer your questions or or we can get into fights and I'll remove you from the group. Yes. It'll be yes. <laughs> Do I have to make a Facebook now? Because that sounds like really fun, but I haven't. I haven't had a Facebook in years. You can do whatever you want. I don't know. Okay. Uh, may- maybe. Maybe. I, I highly encourage My you. MySpace. I'll be on MySpace if you guys want to talk to me. So I think I saw somebody reference their MySpace the other day. It was weird. So, um, uh, oh, yes. And the last thing is if you would like to email us your thoughts, questions, or recommendations, of course, you can uh, head over to your email provider and uh, shoot us over um, some text from, um, uh, not from, we are the Academy <laughs> Podcast at Outlook.com. Microsoft was the last one that was not taken. Um, so that's our home base. Uh, I think that's all. Any other final final words? That's it. We uh, um, and so we were recording this around Christmas time. Um, so uh, we want to wish you all a very merry Christmas and a happy new year. We we hope that uh, 
um, your families and and yourself are are well rested and and just uh, completely enjoying the holiday time. That it's not stressful. That it's not dysfunctional. Um, and that <laughs> yes. uh, you you just you just take this time to just really make good memories, be with each other, um, and remember um, the important things in life, uh, the meaningful things in life. And so, um, you know, peace and joy to all of mankind. And uh, and uh, hopefully this episode will bring you tidings of comfort and joy.